Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. continues our collection of talks, Seven Revelations of Jesus for His Church. In this message, The Open Door, we study the church in Philadelphia and how their faith and obedience created an open door for them to share the gospel. God opens doors that no man can shut as we continue to put our faith and trust in Him. To continue learning, check out vuchurch.com slash seven. Now let's lean in to the message together. How many of you have been blessed through our collection of talks? Uh, back in September, we celebrated seven years as a church. And so we thought it would be fitting that as we step into our eighth year, that we would take some time to study the book of Revelation, to look at the seven churches in Revelation and hear these prophetic messages that Jesus gave that have practical ramifications for you and I. And today we are in our sixth church and I want you to turn your Bible to Revelation chapter three, starting in verse seven. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse seven. And this is what the scripture says. And to the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. Someone say an open door. Which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and out in my own new name. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Today, we are in part six of our collection of talks entitled Seven, and I wanna preach today from the subject, the open door, the open door. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. The door is open. Look at your other neighbor, say other neighbor. The door is actually open. I believe today that this is a word for our house. It's a word for our church. And I believe God's gonna to speak to all of us today as we study his holy word. Uh, we have been in this collection of talks uh, around these seven churches. And today we are in the sixth church, which is the church of Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia by definition is brotherly love. It, it comes from a, a king who actually loved his brother so much, but then uh, the Greek word uh, phila is 
one of the four words for the word love, and it's about a friendship love. Delphia is brother, hence we get brotherly love. And Philadelphia is different from all of the other churches in that it is not condemned for anything, but rather Jesus simply sends praises to the church in Philadelphia. Now, if you're just joining us today, uh, don't worry, uh, you haven't missed much, okay? Um, We've only been five weeks in, but uh, let, let me try to just bring up to speed about where we have been so you can get some context as to the weight of this church specifically. Uh, we kicked off, wow, six weeks ago with our first church, which is the church of Ephesus. And I preached a message entitled Lost Love. Remember the entire idea of that church is that they had Christian energy and they had Christian orthodoxy, but they were missing Christian love. And man, we can prophesy and we can preach and we can look really spiritual, but if we don't have any love, all we are is a clanging cymbal. Uh, Week two, probably my favorite message so far, if you missed that one, was the church of Smyrna. And it was the church that's under pressure. Anybody dealing with some pressure today, just wave at me, a few of us, a few of us. This is good news for you, those that are under pressure. Jesus, he comes and he speaks to them and says, endure even to the point of death. Because even if you die, if you continue to follow me, you will not die the second death. The second death is the one we should all fear. The second death is the one that we're eternally separated from our God. Uh, Week three was a message that was called Mind Slayer. We talked about the church in Pergamum, which was a church that was under deception. That many times, if the devil can't destroy us on the outside, he will bring deception from the inside. Week four, our good friend, Brooke Lidgerwood, shout out to Brooke. Yeah, she came, it was beautiful. She preached on the church of Thyatira, probably the most dynamic, maybe the most confusing, talked about the spirit of Jezebel, a spirit of lies and intimidation. She preached a message called Cosmic Jesus. And then last week, wow, we had, we had a time last Sunday. My wife, Dawn Shree, brought the message last Sunday. Church of Sardis, which was all about the root problem, that you look alive on the outside, but you've, you've lost your roots. Today, we land on the church of Philadelphia. This church is only praised by Jesus. No condemnation, no complaints. Simply, he praises the church, and then he promises the church something. I think it's important that we understand that there is no such thing as a perfect church. That's not the goal, man. None of us are perfect. We all need the grace of God. But there is such thing as a church that's pleasing to God that would win the affirmation and praise of Jesus. I don't know, maybe call me naive, but I just want to believe that Vu Church is this type of church. I just wanna believe that when Jesus walks by the Father up there in heaven, he's like, Dad, I know it's pretty jacked up down there in Florida, but there is this one church in Miami. I just wanna believe that when it's all said and done, that Voo Church is a church that brings pleasure to God, that when he looks at us, he would say, I praise you for your patient endurance and I have promises for you. In every one of these letters, Jesus, who sends a message to John, who then John sends a letter to the church, it's like Jesus always starts with revealing who he is. Revelation chapter three, verse seven, notice what he says here. Jesus, 
begins and he says, the words of the Holy One, the true one. I wanna stop right there because this is how Jesus announces himself to the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, the church that's worthy of praise from Christ himself. He says, I I wanna remind you who's talking to you. I am the Holy One, the one who's been set apart. I am like no other. I, I, I am set apart. I'm different and I'm true. Now, every week that I've preached, um, I have been bringing you some Greek words. This is not normally my tradition, but in this collection, I started this way. Next Sunday, I'm preaching. I can't wait to preach to you about the Church of Laodicea. Don't miss the final installment of our collection. But I just felt like if I started that way, I gotta, I gotta continue that way. And so uh, the word true in Greek has two different Greek words. Um, they both mean true. The first is the word uh, alethys. And alethys, by definition, is when a statement is true. But the other Greek word is the word alethinos. And that is the word that Jesus chooses to use here. It's alethinos, which means something by its nature is genuine, real, and true. Not false, not fabricated, not bogus, but real and genuine. Jesus is announcing to the believers in Philadelphia, I am holy, I'm set apart, but I am the only thing on this planet that is real and genuine. I am true to the core. Everything about me is truth. Maybe today you're here and you're struggling with some lies of the enemy. That's how the enemy attacks us. You don't discover truth by studying the lies, you discover truth by knowing the truth. So the more I get to know Jesus, the more I'm able to decipher what is true and what is false. I love how Brooke mentioned a couple of weeks ago, one of my favorite illustrations is that those that study counterfeit money or currency, they don't do so by studying counterfeits. Instead, they get fully acquainted with what the real currency looks like. Because I know what's genuine, because I know what's real, because I'm accustomed to it, then all of a sudden when the lie comes across my desk, when the lie enters into my mind, I'm able to cut through it and say, I actually know the truth. That's why at Vu Church, we preach one message. We don't preach a self-help message. We don't preach three principles to have a happy life. We just preach Jesus Christ crucified in him resurrected because the more we herald the truth, it doesn't matter what lie of this age comes your way. And by the way, the lies, they just become more and more creative. But our answer and our antidote is found in the truth of Jesus. He says, I am true. He wants them to know I'm about to make you a promise, but everything that I say, I am not the son of man that I should lie, nor am I the son of man that should break his promise. I am the holy one. I am Althinos. I am am genuine, real, and true. And what does he say? He says, the words of the holy one, the true one. The words of the holy one, the true one. The one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. He starts talking about the simple fact that he has two things in mind for us, that he is the truth and he has keys. Today, as he announces himself to all of us, this is so important that we see this, that Jesus is the truth and Jesus has some keys for our life. The keys that he refers to are the keys of David and 
this is the second time in all of the Bible that we hear about the keys of David. The first time is in the Old Testament. You have to go back to the book of Isaiah. And there's a story taking place there in Isaiah. And the story is about a king named Hezekiah who has two servants. Uh, one of his servants, his name is Shebna. And Shebna is stealing the king's resources. And with stealing the king's resources, he is actually preparing his own gravesite, his own tomb, which was something that people of royalty could only have. And he was, he was using the king's resources for, him, for himself. How many of y'all know, uh, we think we can get away with something, but God sees what we think everybody else misses. And God sees Shebna and brings about a judgment upon him. But at the very same time, he also sees a servant that's quite contrary to Shebna. Let me read his story. It's Isaiah chapter 22. This is what he says. He says, in that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. So what's he saying? He said, I'm gonna strip your authority, Shemna, and I'm gonna give it to my other servant, Elikim, and with it, I'm gonna give him the key of the house of David, which is the key of authority. It's the master key. It's the key that opens every door in the kingdom. Whatever he asks, he will get. He has access to everything. I'm opening a door. Jesus uses this exact same language now to the church in Philadelphia. But make no mistake about it, as it's used in the book of Isaiah, it's not just about these two servants that were living right then and there, it was also a prophetic statement about Jesus Christ who would come. And what would Jesus do? Jesus would come and he would go, how many of y'all know, Jesus has got some keys. Jesus has got some keys. He stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And because of Jesus, we now have the keys to the house of David. We have keys to the kingdom. Y'all, you need to understand, the devil is a defeated foe. The devil's so broke, he's so defeated, he doesn't even have the keys to his own house. Jesus has those keys. Jesus took those keys. And Jesus says, because of me, I will give you access. God's opening a door. God is opening a door. God is opening a door. And here is Jesus now speaking all the way from the book of Isaiah to the church in Philadelphia saying, I see you, I'm the true one. I don't have truth, I am the truth. I'm real, I'm genuine. If you got me, you've got everything. And I'm about to give you the keys of David because I'm gonna open some doors and I'm gonna close some doors. How many of y'all know God is either opening doors or he's closing doors? And it's important to note that if God closes a door, no one can open it. We we ought to just linger in that for a moment. If God closes a door in your life, nobody can open it. None of us like closed doors. Closed doors can be painful, but I am learning on my journey of faith that one of the most merciful things God can ever do in our life is close a door that we're not supposed to walk through. 
Notice every Sunday I pray the blessing before you leave. And I always say, God, I pray you bless people in their labor, in their leisure, surround them with protection. God, open up doors that no one could open. And God, close doors that we're not supposed to walk through. Why? Because God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. I don't wanna walk into something that God hasn't ordained for me. If God closes a door, you are wasting your time. Some of you are listening right now and you know God closed that door. If you have a knowing that God closed that door, you are wasting your time trying to open it. I know it's difficult. I know it's challenging. Closed doors come in all sorts of forms and fashions. They can be in a relationship. It could be the closed door of a career option. It could be a closed door of a dream. But listen to me, we serve a sovereign God who is true. We serve a sovereign God who has a profound plan. No doubt that plan can be mysterious and confusing at times, but I choose to trust him. I don't want to walk through a door that he has not opened. What I have learned is, is if I force open doors uh, for opportunities, I, if I forced it with my flesh, I have to sustain it with my flesh. And I met some people, some of us, when you force open a door, watch what will happen. You will start forcing out all of the good things in your life in order to keep that door open. We just gotta learn, no, I'm following Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. In fact, mature Christianity is when you get to a place that you start thanking God for every door that's been closed in your life. God, thank you for making it clear. God, thank you for closing that door. I didn't wanna go there if you weren't in it. So if you have a closed door in your life, I subscribe to the old Christian cliche. Until God opens the next door, praise him in the hallway. Just choose to give him praise in the midst of all of it. Because how many of y'all know, the same God who closes doors, opens doors. See, one of the things I learned in life is that many times before God opens a new door, he will close an old door. I, I grew up in my dad's church. We moved in 1998 to North Miami and uh, my dad took over a little Assemblies of God church called Trinity Church, still going today. We were planted out of that church, love Trinity Church. Uh, but our church started growing in 1998. We moved from a little A-frame steeple church into a big yellow tent out on uh, I-95. Uh, eventually we were able to get like what we call the upgraded tent. It was a tent that had air conditioning. I know it's crazy. And it was held up by air. But it was fascinating as kids because uh, we learned that all of the double doors, there was a few sets of double doors that they weren't able to be open all at the same time. Because if you opened all of the double doors to the tent at the same time, <laughs> the tent would collapse. And for a 15 year old boy, that was pretty exciting <laughs> to get our friends and say, everybody open the door and watch the tent start to come down. Dad would come down, what are you doing? You're ruining the church. Um, why? Because not every door could be open, otherwise the tent would collapse. So it is with God's plans in our life that not every door can be opened at the same time, otherwise his plans for your life would collapse. He's gotta close one door before he opens another door. Somebody give God some praise. He's about to open something new in your life. If he closed something, it's because he's about to open something. If he closed something, it's because he's about to open something. Because here's what I know. If God opens a door, no one can shut it. Look at what Revelation chapter three, verse eight says. This is good news 
Jesus says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Listen to this. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We serve a God who opens up doors. Yes, we serve a God who closes doors, but we definitely serve a God who opens doors. My life is a testimony of him opening doors. For some of you today, he's about to open a new door in your life, a new door to influence, a new door to opportunities. He's opening a door to stretch your capacity. He's opening a door to a new relationship. He's opening a door to new revelation. He's opening a door to newfound favor in him. In fact, right now, in advance, in faith, can we just put our hands together that we're believing that God is getting ready to open a door? I think sometimes in the body of Christ, people get so scared, I'm gonna miss my God opportunity. Not true. Because when God opens up a door, there is no demon in hell who can close it. Your neighbor can't close it. That broken relationship can't close it. Your boss can't close it. He has no problem creating a platform and an open door for you. All we have to do is obey him. This is what he's saying to Philadelphia. He's going, Philadelphia, I'm about to open up a door. You don't have to open it. You don't have to create it. You don't have to conjure it up. All you have to do is obey me. God opens and we obey. It's funny because I think we get that backwards in our minds a lot of times, right? How many of y'all know that many times we start thinking, no, I have to open the door and then I need God to obey me. What are you gonna do when you find out that God doesn't behave? <laughs> God doesn't have to do anything that you want him to do. Some of us is like, I put my application in, now God give me the job. Some of us is like, I met him at church, now God have him marry me, you know? Some of us is like, yo, I, I went to the growth track, I discovered my gift. Now give me a microphone, God. God doesn't have to do anything in that regard. His job is not to obey you. Your job is to obey him. God will open. All you have to do is walk through the door. All you have to do is realize there's an open door in front of us. Let's walk through it. Let's walk through it. Look at what he says, because this has been hitting me for the last couple of weeks. He says, I know that you have but little power. Someone say little power. power. So here's the church in Philadelphia. There's no complaint, there's no condemnation, but instead Jesus praises this church. Anybody like me that you're grateful that we serve a God, that he doesn't look on the outside, but he looks on the inside? I just find great comfort in this, that this church who has little power, this church who has little power somehow gets the attention of Jesus, somehow impresses Jesus. Why? Because it's not our power that impresses Jesus, it's what we do with the power. It's what we do with the power. Listen to me, I don't care how little you feel today. I don't care how weak you feel today. This is good news for anybody who walked into Vu Church today, having this sense that I have little power. Maybe maybe you left your cape at home. (laughs) Maybe you're feeling like you don't have much. I want to encourage you that Jesus, he makes big promises to people who have little power. 
Your little power does not stop his big promise. We serve a God who says big things to little people. And the good news is for every one of us in this place is we're never too weak to obey Jesus. Jesus in the garden said, Lord, my flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. He's never gonna ask you to do something that he hasn't given you the grace to obey. My job is to obey, God will open the door. My job is to obey, God will open the door. He's gonna give me the faith to walk through the open door. Look at what he says. This is so encouraging me. I know that you have little faith and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Someone say, kept my word. I want you to see this today because this isn't taught nearly enough, but you need to hear it. Faith is not about getting, it's about keeping. What impresses Jesus is not what they have gotten in this life, but rather what they've kept from him. They've kept his word. I've kept my mind on your promises. Many times we have this whole idea of faith, that faith is all about getting stuff. Many times we have turned God into a pinata and prayer into the stick. We think God is some genie, like God, do what I want you to do. God, give me the opportunities, give me the new promotion. That's not what this is about at all. Jesus is saying, I see you. I see that you have little power, but even with that little strength, you've had enough strength to keep my word. Don't measure my faith in what I have, measure my faith in what I keep. Measure it in what I keep. I know a whole lot of people that have gotten things in this world, but they've, at the cost of them losing some important things. Well, man, it's my faith that got me this car. Yo, but you lost your mind. It's, it's, my, it's faith that got me this house. I know, but you, you didn't keep your values. Uh, it's faith that brought me this relationship. I know, but you never kept your purity in the process. We could go on and on and on. I want my faith to be measured not in what I get, but in what I keep. The church in Philadelphia, they kept his word. God, as you bless our church and as you use our church, may we keep our mind, may we keep our values, may we keep our heart, may we keep our eyes on you. See, faith, if we're really being honest, is truly a response to God's grace. It's by grace through faith that you've been saved. Faith is a byproduct of his grace. What is faith? Faith is a response to God's faithfulness. That he's spoken to you and that he's promised you something and he's told you something. That's what Don Tree said last week. You don't need a new word. You need the old word. If you're having a hard time hearing from God today, I would say go back to the last thing that he told you to do and put it into action and watch as you start obeying him as he starts speaking to you again. Keep his word. Keep his word. It's not our power that impresses God. We might have little power, but even with our little power, God makes big promises to those that keep his word. That's what impresses Jesus about the church in Philadelphia. They're not the biggest. They're not the smartest. They don't have all the resources, but they kept his word. Kept his word. I think about Peter walking on water. Here's this man 
Jesus, out of his own mouth, he said, uh, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? But it's with that little faith that Peter was able to even walk on the water. But what happened? He said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, Peter, come. And as he listens to the word of Jesus, as he keeps the word of Jesus, he discovers that water, yes, it's liquid, but Jesus' word is solid. And if I'll just keep the word, I can find myself doing impossible things. But the scripture says that what? He started to look at the wind and the waves. It's amazing because you can't even see wind. But we start looking at stuff that we can't even truly see. We start looking at stuff. Some of us, we're looking at the world. We're, 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 we're looking at the bottom line. We're, we're looking at social media. All of those things are robbing and depleting our faith. Stop looking, start listening. And as you listen, watch as God makes a way out of no way. It's not the size of our faith that counts, it's the size of our God. It's a little key that opens a big door. And here's Jesus, the master, holding the master keys to the kingdom. And he says, hey, church in Philadelphia, I'm the true one. I'm the real one. Everything I say is true. Just study me, look to me. I want you to understand today that I am getting ready to open up a door that no one can shut. So the question is, what is this door? Because we could metaphorically talk about all sorts of things that this door could mean. But most scholars firmly believe that Jesus in this moment is speaking about one specific door, which is the door of opportunity for the gospel, the message of Jesus to go forth. See, Philadelphia is a unique city in that this was, city was built really as a, as a base camp or as a staging ground to Hellenize the world, meaning to spread the Greek language, to spread the Greek traditions. It was already an outpost that was being used to spread a way of life, of literature, of thinking. But here comes Jesus saying, no, I'm getting ready to open up a door for my message to go forth. I will open the door, but church in Philadelphia, all I need you to do is obey me and walk through the door. You just have to walk through the door. I firmly believe right now that God is opening a door for us here in Miami. I firmly believe right now that our church is not just supposed to be just some ordinary church that's supposed to just go through the motions, but rather this is supposed to be a church that raises up evangelists that would go into the night and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that they go. The door is open. The door is open. The door is open. But I wonder, are we not aware of it? I came across uh, a research study done by Barna Research Group that said from 1993 to now, there's been a decrease in 25% of American Christians that no longer believe that it's their responsibility to share their faith. Also, 29% increase that most Christians believe that it's the church's responsibility to share the gospel. Say, so Rich, why are you telling me that? 
I'm telling you that because over the last 25 years in our nation, there seems to be in the American church Christians who no longer hear the mandate of heaven to step into the night and walk through the open doors that God is affording them. Friends, this is our mission, to bring people who are far from God close to God, that we would make a difference with the good news of Jesus. There's an open door, but yeah, but Rich, I haven't been to seminary. And yeah, but Rich, I don't know all the books of the Bible. And yeah, but Rich, I don't have a lot of Bible verses memorized. Oh friend, you're missing it. What has Jesus done in your life? God is creating platforms every single day. The server at your restaurant, guess what that is? The open door. But Rich, I, I, I don't really know what to say. Well, next time when you're working out with your friend, just tell them what Jesus has done in your life. It's called the open door. Your coworker, the open door. Your classmate, the open door. Everywhere that you go, we all think, oh, I wanna change the world. Well, start in your backyard. Start where you are. God has opened up a door, just like he was doing for the church of brotherly love. He was saying, I, I'm, I see you, you've kept the faith, but man, I'm opening up a door. I'm giving you the keys, walk through it, share, share your faith, spread the gospel. And it's beautiful because as he opens up this door, he's challenging them to take their faith to the ends of the earth. I think when you start sharing your faith, that's when faith gets exciting. It's cool getting miracles, but how many of y'all know being a miracle, that's really exciting. That's what happens when we start bringing people to church. That's what happens when we start taking little moments in our life to testify about the grace of Jesus, to explain the story of Jesus. The good news is, as this church is being praised, Jesus says, I've got promises for you. Look at these promises, this is powerful. Cause you're gonna see the brilliance of Jesus as we come to a close. Revelation chapter three, verse nine. It says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. First promise is he promises them justice. Everyone say justice. You gotta realize that these believers in this time period are being persecuted. They're being killed for following Jesus. I don't think we should ever wish harm on anybody but I do think it's important to note that when you're going through difficult seasons, when you're being persecuted or oppressed, when you feel like you're being taken advantage of, go back to God's word. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. One day we will all stand before a righteous God and he will bring about justice. So if you feel like somebody's getting away with something, you don't actually always have to be the person who administers justice. You can trust that there is a God in heaven who sees all things, just like he did with Shebna and Elikim. He will do with the powers that be in this present age. He will bring about justice. But what a good promise for the church in Philadelphia who's so afraid going, man, they're killing us. Nobody sees us. But then Jesus, the one who's holy and true says, I see you and don't worry, there will come a day when justice will come about. Second thing he promises, Revelation chapter three, verse 10, he says, because you have kept, there's that word again, my word about patient endurance. That's that word we learned in week one, hupomona, that, 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 that Greek word about patiently endure. 
I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Second promise is the promise of protection. This church in Philadelphia, if you'll continue to patiently endure, if you'll keep my word, I will protect you. Now, this verse in particular has a little bit of conversation and debate around it. We don't know if he meant he was gonna literally protect them in that hour or if he's talking about the end times as we study our eschatology about uh, the seven-year tribulation, if they will be spared from it. All we know is the one who is true, when he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. The promise is, I will protect you. I will see you through. Don't quit, don't give up. Keep walking through the open door. Go fish. You can't catch anyone, but you can certainly fish for me. So don't let anyone take your crown. We believe in heaven one day that there's rewards. One of those rewards is that there's a heavenly crown with different jewels that will be put upon it based upon our fruit in this earth. I don't know about you, but I don't want anyone taking my crown. The only thing I wanna do with my crown is I just wanna lay my crown before Jesus. I heard this beautiful story about Queen Elizabeth as she passed not too long ago that she told this story that she had longed for the day that Jesus would return before she had passed away so that she could take her crown and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Oh, may that be the prayer of every believer. I'm not gonna let the enemy take my crown. I'm not gonna obey the lies of this world, but rather I'm gonna lay my crown down at the feet of Jesus. He'll protect you. He'll keep you. He promises justice. He promises protection. And lastly, Revelation chapter three, verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. This is powerful stuff that's being said here because one of the things that needs to be noted throughout this entire collection is that Jesus Christ is brilliant. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but he's the smartest man who ever lived. He's just brilliant. Because in all of these prophetic words that he gives these churches, what you'll find is that there is a cultural context. That as he's speaking, he's speaking specific to things that were taking place in their life. For instance, Philadelphia, much like all these other churches, was known for its religiosity, that there's so many different pagan religions, so many different temples being built all over the city. Many scholars called it, or people in that time period, called Philadelphia a little Athens. There were so many temples. And the way that that world would work is that if you served the state well, if you were an honorable citizen, they would put a pillar with your name on it in a temple. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, listen, you believers in Philadelphia, you in little Athens, I want you to understand that I'm gonna give you justice, I'm gonna give you protection, but I promise you identity that I see you, that if you'll keep the faith, if you'll keep the word true, if you'll keep your mind on me, I'm going to make you, not just put your name, I'm gonna make you a pillar in the only temple that will last for all time. When every other temple has fallen, there will be one that still stands, the house of God, and you'll be a pillar in it. You'll be a pillar in it. Notice what he says, it's so good, it's so brilliant. He says, and you won't have to leave. It sounds just so little and, simple, 
But if you know what was taking place in Philadelphia, that Philadelphia, it was known for its earthquakes, that there were so many natural disasters, that many times a lot of the people didn't even live or sleep at night in Philadelphia. They would leave every night because they were afraid of the earthquakes. So many cases, there was such natural devastation that they had to leave and then come back, leave and come back. So when Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm gonna give you an identity. This is gonna be your home. You won't ever have to leave. You don't have to go out at night and come back in the morning. You can put up residence knowing that you belong, that you are my child. Because I'm gonna give you a new name. I'm gonna rename your city a new Jerusalem. He's giving them the hope of heaven, which we ought to talk a whole lot more about in church. That Jesus is coming back for his church and with it, he will bring a new heaven and a new earth. He says, you have an identity. You have a part in this. You are my child. You are my kid. I love it. When I married Don Cherie, her name changed. She took on a new last name, a new family name. She took on the name Wilkerson. I mean, how, how many y'all know, with taking my name, she now has access to all my stuff. She can call the bank right now and be like, this is Mrs. Wilkerson. Let's clear the accounts. Because <laughs> she has my name. And friends, this is who our God is. That he promises us identity. I'm gonna change your name. Isn't this what he's done all throughout his word? Turned Abram into Abraham. Sarai into Sarah. Jacob, the deceiver, into Israel. He took Simon, turned him into Peter. Peter, you're a rock. I'm gonna give you a new identity. He took Saul, the Christian killer. He became Paul, the greatest apostle of the New Testament because he's into changing identities. He's into giving us the keys that give us access to walk through the open door. Friend, he's changed your name. You used to be blind, but come on, now you can see. You used to be deaf, but now you can hear. Once you were dead, but now you're alive. He gives us new identity. He changes our name over and over again. Condemned to sanctified. Guilty to forgiven. Slave to son. This is the promise of Jesus. This is the promise he gives to Philadelphia, the praiseworthy church. I see you, you've kept my word. Your faith wasn't about getting, your faith was about keeping. And we close like we did last week. We're singing, we're gonna worship. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. God, I pray that you'd give us spiritual ears to hear in this hour what you're saying to Vu Church. Lord, we know that this was prophetic to the church in Philadelphia, but we believe it's practical to the church here today in Miami. God, give us spiritual ears. We hear you saying that you're opening the door. You're opening the door. But God, it feels like there's just a few of us. God, it feels like it's so small. But we hear the prophet Zechariah who says, do not despise small beginnings, that God can do something big with something small. I might have little power, but he still has a big promise. The door is open. I close with this. Robert Bela, the sociologist of the University of California, Berkeley, and the director of University Centers of Japanese and Korean Studies, he made this observation 
I think it's quite encouraging for all of us today. We should not underestimate the significance of the small group of people who have vision of a just and gentle world. In Japan, a very small minority of Protestant Christians introduced ethics into politics and had an impact beyond all proportion to their numbers. They were central in the beginning of the women's movement, labor unions, and virtually every reform movement. The quality of culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. I want you to hear that today, Vu. Just 2%, just 2% of us who open our eyes and say, wow, the door is open. The door is open in Miami. The door is open in America. The door is open to the nations that we might take the light of Jesus into the world. Come on, if you believe it, somebody give God some praise. The door is open. The door is open. Come on, stand on your feet. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, sing it out with everything we got. Thank you for listening to today's message at VU. We believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.